0: And then it kind of like hit me like, oh, if I can learn like social skills from a book, like what else can I learn? And that's when they like, it really blew my mind that for anything that you want to learn, any problem that you have, there's a book out there that's written by an expert who spent, you know, five, 10, 20 years studying one topic. Then they compressed all of that knowledge into a book. Then you could buy the book for like $10 and download all that information in like 10 hours or less.
1: Welcome to episode 14 of the Idea Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Tro. So in January, I sent my monthly newsletter, which I send to friends, colleagues, and close contacts in my network, summarizing both key insights and learnings from the month of December, but then also highlighting learnings from 2023 as a whole. And in that newsletter, I wrote the following, quote, here was 2023 by the numbers. I read 30 books, I gymmed all 365 days, listened to 863 podcasts, grew this newsletter from 71 to 184 subscribers, launched the Idea Exchange podcast in August. Day by day, week by week, even month by month, it's hard to understand the compounding effects of knowledge. But when you summarize a whole year of intense learning, it's much more apparent." End quote. Now, I cite to this quote not because these numbers are necessarily evidence of wisdom that I've gained, but because when I reflect on how and where I'm spending my time, it's very obvious. It's podcasting, it's the gym, and it's books. The reason I was so excited for this episode was because it combined two of my passions. It's a podcast really celebrating and dissecting books and reading. In this episode, I had on Alex Wachowski, better known online as Alex and Books. Alex has carved out a fascinating career for himself by sharing his passion for books online, and it was a lot of fun for me to just talk to Alex about his journey into the creator economy and his ongoing love for learning and reading. On Instagram, Alex has amassed over 500,000 followers. On Twitter, he has over 300,000 followers, and he also has a newsletter that he publishes on a weekly basis with over 30,000 followers. I am typically not a big fan of providing generic advice, but if a young person were to ask me what the most important skills to acquire early in one's career, without a doubt, learning to love reading would be a critical one. The great investor and thinker who recently passed, Charlie Munger, once said, In my whole life, I have known no wise people who didn't read all the time. None. Zero. In reflecting on my own experience, I attribute a great deal of my wisdom and knowledge to my passion for reading books. Anytime I have the opportunity to express this passion with others who share it as well, I know I'm in for a fun conversation. With all that said, please enjoy my conversation with Alex Wachowski. sweet so alex first off appreciate you entertaining the conversation when when i like look at my own life and the activities that i am most engaged in and want to do in the future i can like personally bucket them into three categories which is podcasting which i'm obsessed with both having conversations with other people and then listening to like tons and tons of podcasts the second category would be like gym i'm like a big exercise enthusiast and and really find a lot of value from from, you know, iterating on the workouts. And then the third bucket would be reading books. And I'm excited for this conversation because we're going to hit like two out of the three buckets, which is both reading and podcasts. So thanks for for joining and and entertaining the the conversation here.
0: Yeah, happy to be here, Tyler. And uh, yeah, I'm a f- big fan of all three. So happy to talk about any topic you want to chat about.
1: So maybe let's start for the people that like are not familiar with your work, because you have kind of built your own career around books and reading and have really become kind of like a learning advocate. So your personal brand is like Alex and books. But when you interact with strangers for like the first time and try and describe what it is you do, how do you go about doing that?
0: Yeah. I would say I split up into two categories. If they're like over, you know, 35 or 40, I just tell them, you know, I, I work, I do book marketing. So I work in the marketing industry and focused on books. If they're younger than that, you know, I'll tell them like I'm a content creator. And then if they ask about what, I'll tell them, you know, I focus on nonfiction books, creating content on Instagram and Twitter. So that's the two ways I would go about describing it.
1: Cool. And even in terms of getting started with with creating content online relating to, to books like mm-hmm. if you ask somebody what an ideal strategy would be to have a successful uh, to build a successful audience like one of the things that they often talk about is like focusing on a niche where people are are very passionate about you you started writing talking about books can you just articulate a little bit of the process of how you went about like deciding to to do that
0: yeah so one day this management professor came into class and he introduced us introduced us to his book how to win friends and influence people Mm. and he worked at ibm for i think it was like 25 or 30 years and then he shows off like he has a rolex because he he worked there for so long it was like a reward for being there and this was like he was at ibm during like the like the heyday so this is like kind of like apple today and he told us like the reason he's so successful is because of this book that he read and I, i was like really surprised like could a book really be that impactful And up until that point, I have never read a self-improvement book. I thought there was only like fiction books, poetry books, and like history books or like textbooks. And then here was this book that was like as educational as a textbook, but as entertaining as like a fiction book, because it had like these great stories, but also had these like great lessons. And also I wasn't someone that was like very social in college or like just growing up. So I was very introverted. So here was the book also that's, you know, it was like 80 years old because written in the 1930s, I believe. And it was teaching us like how to become more social. So I just remember that first day, you know, I went to the bookstore, bought the book, had to do the assignment. And then I started reading it. I'm like, wow, this, you know, this book has some really good lessons and like really great stories. And then it kind of like hit me like, oh, if I can learn like social skills from a book, like what else can I learn? And that's when they like, you know, it really blew my mind that for anything that you want to learn, any problem that you have, there's a book out there that's written by an expert who spent, you know, 5, 10, 20 years studying one topic. Then they compressed all of that knowledge into a book. And then you could buy the book for like $10 and download all that information in like 10 hours or less. So like after that experience, I, I just became like an avid reader. I, I just like, okay, like whatever problem I have in life, like dating, you know, getting in shape, you know, become more social. I'm like, all right, let me just find books about those topics. Let me start reading those books and start like applying those lessons. So it really became like, you know, an avid reader. And then I was like, wow, I'm reading all these books. You know, how can I kind of share what I'm learning how can I, you know, you know, turn this more into like a side hustle? So I just started posting them on Instagram. So it's literally just if you you could scroll down to the bottom of my Instagram feed and you'll just see it's like a book on my desk and it's like a book next to like a bowl of oatmeal. Like I did not know anything about social media content. It was just like, oh, you know, I really enjoyed reading this book. You know, zero to one. You guys should check it out. And it just like slowly happened that, you know, I just started sharing more and more pictures of books. And you know, long story short, it took you know a few years. But like over time, built up that audience and just still continuing today, just like reading books and showing them on social media.
1: And so that that initial phase was kind of throughout the college experience for you. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So-
1: well, I'm I'm asking because even like before before college, like high school, middle school, et cetera, were you you weren't a big reader at that point?
0: So, so I remember as like a very young child, I loved the picture books. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's kind of like a movie, all these pictures. But then every year as I got older, there were less and less pictures in the books and I got less and less (laughs) interested. And I remember being like fifth grade, I'm opening up to this book and I just remember like, there's no pictures in this book. Like, I don't want to read this. And then I felt like it it just got worse and worse. Then we get to middle school and I remember reading all of these like, you know, like How to Kill a Mockingbird and all these old books and you're getting this book and it, it looks like it's like 100 years old. Like the paper is like yellow the the font's tiny, like the story is like just not relatable. And then you get to high school and then you know you're reading Shakespeare. And so like as the older I got, the books got older too. And I was like, I can't relate to this. Like it's not important. It's not like interesting to me. So I think that's very common where school teaches you how to read, but not like how to love reading. And in fact, a lot of people, you know, hate reading because they're assigned all these books that they're not enjoying. So if you're given books that don't have like an answer you're looking for or you know, given books that you don't find interesting and you're forced to read them because, you know, you have to read them because there's going to be a pop quiz or a test or an assignment. And if you don't read these books, you know, you might fail the class. So I think that experience really just makes a lot of people dislike reading. And then they just stop reading altogether. Then they, you know, graduate high school or college and they just never pick up a book again. And I think that's pretty like tragic.
1: It's a very unfortunate phenomenon. And unfortunately, when you sample like most Americans or probably most people globally about their in their level of interest uh around reading it is like oftentimes very negative and specifically because of their high school experience like i know for me i had taken like ap lit and ap lang and those were some of the most frustrating classes because they ask you to think about alliteration and symbolism and syntax and all of these like very highly esoteric things to somebody who is not naturally a reader that doesn't make sense and it's I, I look at that whole experience as like unfortunate, but I'm also like very happy that I somehow developed a love for for reading over time. And it's kind of like you said, is you need to pursue your curiosity to some ex- extent in order to like make that practice sustainable for you with the types of books that you were reading kind of college and, and even like afterwards compared to what you're reading now. Is it the same type of interests that you have for the most part, or has like your appetite for specific genres evolved over time? Uh, I think
0: I think as I got older and also became a more experienced reader, I know what I'm looking for. So two pieces of advice I'd recommend people is read it when you need it and read what you love until you love to read. So, you know, if there's a problem that you're having, look for a book that will solve it. So like, you know, don't read a negotiation book un- until it's like time to like sell your house or buy a house or buy a car. Like, there's no point of reading, like, negotiation books if you're not going to apply it or, like, use it. Like, I remember, like, the first year I really got into reading, I started reading all these management books because I thought I would be, like, a CEO one day, so I I need to know how to, like, manage people. But I was, like, an intern at the time. I was a college student. I wasn't managing anyone, so I I was, like, forcing myself to read this book because I'm, like, oh, it's going to come in handy one day. But it's, like, I cannot apply any of that information. I cannot relate to any of that information. So, like, that's just not a good, like, way to spend your time reading. And the other one is just like follow your natural curiosity. So this is kind of crazy or like just an interesting story. But I remember watching the news one day and, I rem- and like the the hi- the highlight clip was that someone escaped from North Korea. And I just never thought to myself like, oh, like what is life in North Korea? Like I heard about it, but like I've never really dug into it. And I'm like, like, like this mysterious country that people don't really talk about or like afraid of. So, like, literally th- that week, I went and bought a book about, like, what life was in North Korea, and I just followed my na- natural curiosity, and I, l- I loved the book. It was, like, super interesting. I'm like, this is super fascinating, and just, like, following my natural curiosity wherever it leads, you know, that's a great way to, like, keep that passion for reading alive versus, like, people telling you what to read or, you know, just seeing oh, this book's a bestseller, so I should read that, or this book is a classic, so I should read that. It's like, no, you want to look for books that either will, you know, solve a problem you're having or will satisfy your curiosity about, about a topic.
1: Tell me a little bit more about the process for you when you had started Alex and Books, started blogging about books. I mean, you were in in college, and then even after college, you went to business school. Was it for a couple of years?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I got, I got a master's in entrepreneurship.
1: And so, I mean, a lot of people, they will like dabble in blogging or dabble in podcasting, but then they'll pick it up for a little while. They'll realize that like, it's, it's not working to the extent that I'm hoping. And then they'll drop it kind of what compelled you to continue to share online. And like, at what point did you realize, huh, maybe I can make a living just talking about books and, and reading.
0: Yeah. So, so to kind of like skip to the punchline, I actually did quit a couple of times because it did get really tough because I felt like i was putting in all this work but i wasn't really like monetizing the audience or like i felt like it wasn't growing as fast as i wanted to but then i thought to myself like okay if i quit this what am i going to do i'm going to just get like a marketing nine to five job i'm like okay and then what what am i going to do on the weekends like oh i'll work on the blog and i'll just keep working on it until it becomes like my full-time job so then i thought to myself all right well if i'm going to do that anyway wouldn't i just get to that finish line faster if i just kept working on the blog? And, you know, just to like kind of suffer through this. Mm. So that's why I did. But I would say like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're feeling like you're burnt out, like I was creating content on Instagram, you know, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, on the blog. And I was doing that all by myself. And I was just like spreading myself way too thin. So I'd recommend people just like focus on one social media platform or just on their website and just work on growing that platform. And uh, yeah, just slowly over time, you know, putting in the work and just... I think what really motivated me was just seeing people actually leave comments or send messages like, oh, you know, I read this book that you recommended. You know, I really enjoyed it and I found it super helpful. Or thank you, you got me back into reading. So I think more than just like seeing the page views or followers go up, what was more motivational was actually getting comments from people, emails from people and saying like, oh, this work is impactful. Thank you for doing what you're doing. So I think that had a stronger motivation than just seeing any like vanity or metrics go up.
1: It's a little bit of a paradox in terms of the way that you have like become quote unquote successful which is that like you have 500,000 plus i think followers on Instagram over 300,000 followers on on X or Twitter and it's like those are short form social media kind of dynamics, right? And I want to get your perspective a little bit on like, how much of your audience base do you feel like they are people that are aspiring to become readers, or they wish that they were readers. And so they try and like and engage in that content, versus how much of the people are actually like digesting, actively reading, etc. Because my suspicion is that like the audience bases on both of those platforms are, are quite different. Like I have been very surprised by the amount of intellectually dense and deep individuals I've crossed paths with on X. So just curious to hear a little bit about your experience with, with talking about books.
0: Yeah, I was actually curious about this too. So I ran a poll on Instagram and Twitter asking people like, oh, how many books did you read last year? Or like, how many books do you read a month? And I think it was like 40% of people said like they read zero to one books a month. So like the yeah, like a decent amount of people tell me like, you know, they follow my page because they want to become readers or they're just like waiting to find Mm. that book that will kind of motivate them to read or they kind of just use my page as kind of like a substitute to read books. Mm. So I think that was really an eye-opening stat because also I just saw the stat last week. It was like 46% of Americans read zero books last year. So the majority of people actually don't read. And it's very, you know, it's very rare for someone to read even like a book a month. That's like, that puts you in the top like 10%. Of people. So I think that was very eye opening that, like, most people, yeah, they know reading is good for them. They want to read more, but they don't do it as much as they want. So I, th- I think that's something I just realized not too long ago. So that was a big surprise uh, for me as well.
1: How has, like, even your own practice with reading changed over time? Like, if you were to look at during the high school, or I, th- I guess during the college and a couple years thereafter versus your reading practices now, because this is a little bit embarrassing to say, but like in terms of my own reading practices, I don't think that they have evolved all that much aside from the fact that I have become um, grown this knowledge base of intelligence over the years of reading and I can make deeper connections across different disciplines and things like that. But in terms of like my reading speed or my level of comprehension, I don't know if it has like radically changed over time. What, what can you say about your own and what general advice do you give to other people that are trying to up level their reading game?
0: Yeah. So I think reading a skill just like anything else, like, you know, if you, if you want to get better at basketball, you have to break it down. So you work on like your speed, you work on your defense, you work on your shooting, your passing, same thing goes for reading. So for a skill for reading would be like, how good is your ability to focus while reading? Like, are you constantly getting distracted? You know, uh, like a good tip I always tell people is like, put your phone in another room before you start your reading session. Another thing to do is like, yeah, a lot of people focus like, oh, how can I increase my reading speed? Because they think that's like the, you know, the ultimate hack is just to read faster. There's tons of studies that show that the faster you read, the less you comprehend. So, but I think naturally, as you read more books, you'll become like a more focused reader and your reading speed will naturally get like faster. And then, like, another value variable to, like, focus on is, like, how much time do you spend reading? So just, you know, I went from someone that, you know, would read, I don't know, maybe, like, in a 15 or 20-minute session. So now sometimes I'll read for, like, an hour or, like, an hour and a half or two hours sometimes mm-hmm. if the book's, like, really good and, like, really sucks you in. Another helpful tip I would say is, like, don't be afraid to, like, quit a book. So I think a lot of people ver- very early on on their reading journey say, you know, I bought this book. You know, I started it. I have to finish it. But that's not true. Like if the book turns out to be boring, you know, not interesting or not like just not valuable to you. you know, I like to say quit boring books to make room for brilliant ones because reading should always be like fun. If you're just constantly reading books that you're not enjoying, reading is not going to be fun and you're going to avoid doing it. Uh, so it's also like a habit that people have a hard time breaking because in school, like you have to finish the book because, you know, there's going to be like a test on it. So I think just like, you know, following that rule of like quitting boring books and also make, making reading fun. So a lot of people say they're super busy, they don't have time to read. So what I would say is just like, just I call it like the two minute rule. So just sit down and read for two minutes because the hardest part of reading is just like sitting down to start. Like once you actually start reading the book, you know, it pretty much like sucks you in if it's a good book and you'll just end up reading for like 10 or 20 minutes. So like no matter how busy you're, You know, it's very difficult to read for like two hours a day or even an hour a day. But if you just tell yourself, okay, I'm just going to read for two minutes every day, Like, even if you only read for two minutes, you still feel accomplished, but most likely you'll just sit down and start reading. And then, you know, two minutes will turn into five, which will turn into 10. And that just like, you know, that little life hack, I feel like it works every time, even on me who, who like kind of, you know, you know, started doing that. So yeah, I think just keep reading fun, you know, start small and then just quit books that aren't interesting or valuable to you. And I think just following those three rules will, you know, make you like a 10 X better reader.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there is a shift at all in terms of younger people today and their appetite for reading books? I I just think about like the competition for attention specifically in like the social media age is like, I have, I have younger brothers. I was, I was chatting with, with Eric Jorgensen earlier this month about like his book and how I think it's his book, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant and why I think it's so important because it is a great hook for beginning readers because it has such deep insights, but it is also like highly digestible. And one of the things that I, I do think about is like, how do we get more young people to read? Do do you have a a perspective on the kind of the state of readership overall and how maybe that's evolved over time?
0: Yes. So yeah, they released a uh, recent stats I saw in like the Washington Post that almost for every age group, the amount of time people spent reading has a decrease. So we're definitely going in a downward trend. I think it was, I think it said in 2003, 26% of Americans spent some time reading. And now it's down to, I think, like 16%. So that's like a 10% drop. Mm. So I think, yeah, as social media gets more and more like uh, short form and, uh, you know, addicting in some sense, it's becoming harder and harder for people to, you know, find their attention span or make the time to read books. Um, But what I've noticed is that people that go from being non readers to like readers, it's usually some type of either a fiction book or, uh, a nonfiction book that kind of reads like a fiction, so like like rich dad poor dad, like that has like a very uh, enticing story that sucks people in. You know, Atomic Habits. He talks about his baseball incident and the the English biking team. Uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's another book that has a ton of stories. So yeah, if you want to get someone into reading, I would say you know give them a book that kind of reads like fiction, but it's like a nonfiction book, like The Go Giver or something like that. So something that's light, you know, entertaining. And then, you know, sneaks in like those uh, life lessons inside the story.
1: How about your relationship specifically with reading? Like I, you do it for a career. So does, do you ever feel like burdened with uh, the fact that you have to like read books? Or how do you budget your time allocation wise? Like how much time do you spend reading on a daily basis? And like on average, how many books are you going through?
0: Yes. Yeah, so ever since I started, the trend of how many books i read has gone up. So you know, from zero books to like 35, then I think it was like 38, 45, uh, I think it was like 50s, then 60, and then like last year was 75 books. So last year was almost like a book or two a week. But I felt like that was definitely like a little bit too much reading because I think it gets to the point where you're spending all this time reading books and it feels like you're accomplishing a lot, but you're not giving yourself time to like one, digest all of that information. You know, it's like a fant- fire hose of information just coming at you, you know. It's like, you know, if you listen to a podcast at 3x speed and just always listen to three podcasts a day, you're not going to absorb all that information just way too much. Yep. And I think more importantly is, like, you're not taking the time to actually apply what you're learning. Like, you're turning reading into, like, a sport where it's like, okay, you know, telling people you read 75 books, you know, it, it, some people might be impressed, but people that actually read a lot of books know, like, oh, you're spending, like, way too much time reading. And it kind of becomes a form of, like, productive procrastination. So this year, I'm actually like lowering that number down a lot where it's like, okay, I want to focus on, you know, reading these types of books for my business and I want to focus on applying those lessons to help like, you know, get my business going and like improve my life versus, you know, just reading a ton of books just for like the fun of it or the sport of it. So I think that's something I'm working on and a lot of, you know, I think a lot of new readers also struggle with, which is like, they think, okay, reading books makes me smart. So the more I read, the smarter I'll get. But it's kind of like that, you know, it's like a bell curve. It's like, you know, it's beneficial. Like if you don't read it, that's bad. But also if you read too much, that's also bad. So you want to be somewhere in that middle where like you're reading books, but you're still making time to like digest and apply them. And I think, you know, if you're working like a nine to five, I would say like the optimal number of books to read is probably like like two two a month. So I think if you read 24 books a year while working nine to five, like that's amazing. Like I think one book every two weeks are very manageable. And yeah, that also gives you time to like take notes on your books and apply what you learn. So yeah, don't, don't look at these people that say they read a hundred books a year and feel like you're not doing enough because all of them, they're, you know, they're getting paid to read. They're either podcasters, they're either authors, they're either journalists, or they're in some type of field where they have to read for their job. And, you know, them bragging about reading a hundred books a year, is not that impressive because, you know, they're getting paid to do it and it's part of their nine to five. So yeah, that would be my two cents there.
1: Yeah, it seems like if you if you do reflect on the fact that not a lot of people read, it it kind of makes sense. in from the perspective of if you have a nine to five job and if you have a family, just carving out time for reading is a very is a very challenging thing to do uh, because your schedule can fill up very easily. And like for me, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm reading on average, you know, a couple of books a month because like. I'm single. I have a job. It's like pretty flexible, hybrid dynamic. And my weekends for the most part are open and deliberately so. But for a lot of people, it's it's not that easy to carve out time to sit down and, and read. And just like anything else in life, if you don't make a conscious effort to make it a priority, then it kind of just slips th- through the cracks, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, just one more thing to add there. I would say like, yeah, if you have a, you know, nine to five, you know, busy life, the two best times to read are early in the a.m. or late in the p.m. So early in the a.m. means like before work, before the kids get up, before, you you know, the whole day starts. Like you have a little bit of that brief time to yourself where you can just do a little bit of quiet reading. And then late in the p.m., which is like, you know, after you put the kids to bed, after you've had dinner, after you've relaxed, before you go to sleep, just like read for a couple of minutes in your bed as a way to like wind down and relax. So those are what I found have been to the like two best times to like do your reading.
1: Makes makes a lot of sense for sure. And there's something about Reading a book and then going to sleep with the ideas in your head and then waking yeah. up kind of renewed. And there's also something about like waking up first thing in the morning when your mind is fresh. Like for me, work-wise, those are some of like the most prized hours. So so that that dynamic seems very powerful. In terms of let's say like the a devil's advocate position for somebody who is a huge reader. So even in anticipation of this discussion, one of the movie scenes that I was thinking about was you've seen the the movie Goodwill Hunting before. And so there's like a park scene kind of towards the end of that movie where the the therapist, it's Robin Williams is the actor, is kind of like lecturing the main character that's played by Matt Damon and basically saying, look, you have read all of these books and you are an incredibly knowledgeable individual, but you haven't like gone out and experienced life. and because of that, you're you're missing a very critical component of like what it is to be a human being. And I think in this day and age, why it was particularly interesting to me was because there's a lot of discussions around like AI and the degree to which we should treat AIs as like human beings to some extent, you know? And what I feel like a lot of times when I'm interacting with like a chat GPT or something like that is I am giving it a question and it's kind of spitting words back with. An incredible Rolodex of information that it has acquired, right? But it isn't experiencing those things as another human being. So I'm just curious in terms of the advice that you give to other people who love reading, but maybe aren't taking enough, enough action, like how how you how you figure out what the balance is there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I really like Alex Hormozy's take on this, where he talked about how he, you know, worked at a sales job for several years before even reading a sales book. And that was a lot more you know, that's a better way to go about it versus reading a hundred sales books and then trying to do sales. Like you're, you're always going to learn more doing the thing than reading about the thing. So that's probably like, you know, like I had a hard time putting on muscle. That was one of my big things. So, you know, gaining weight. So I read a lot of diet books. I read a lot of fitness books, but that was just me procrastinating, going to the gym and lifting heavy weights like that. That's just, so I would say like, if you find yourself reading a lot about the thing, Just remind yourself that's not doing the thing. And you'll benefit a lot more from doing the work than from reading the book. And then, yeah, once you start doing the thing, then read books to learn how to become better at it, how to optimize it, how to become more efficient. But yeah, always start by doing the thing and then reading about it, not the other way around.
1: A hundred percent. One of the things that I have been doing over the last probably year and a half or so is trying to pick a sub- a specific subject matter that I'm interested in, or that I feel like I'm deficient in. And if I was to develop some knowledge around that subject area, like it would be very advantageous for my future. And so I've been compiling like a list of 10 to 15 books on specific topics and um, just reading those books. And the fact that I'm already curious and trying to engage in those activities in some ways makes the reading experience a lot more flavorful. And so like right now I'm doing a marketing and advertising learning sprint. So like I have never really had formal education in the marketing and advertising space, but I've always been very curious about like behavioral economics. And so I compiled like 10 to 15 books on on the topic. And what I've realized as well in terms of what's been really valuable for me is Simply sitting with the, uh, the same idea over the course of like multiple months gives it time to kind of seep in and kind of sink its teeth into my brain. And those are a handful of things that I've found super rewarding over the last couple of months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Uh, yeah. I, I, I call that cluster reading. So pick a topic like you want to learn about or like a skill you want to improve on. Find like three books about that topic and read those three books. So like when it came to like learning how to build better habits, you know, I got atomic habits, tiny habits. And there's that book, Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. Ah, yep. So yeah, just reading those three books on habits, well, like you'll know more about habits than like 99% of people. So yeah, I think that's a great skill. And like you mentioned, you want to read books like just in time, not just in case. Because like I was never interested in like, you know, learning like how to write better copy or like sales copy. But then I started building this course and I'm like, okay, I'm going to need a sales page. So now it's like, okay, I want to learn how to become better at sales and like writing better copy. So now the book became interesting to me and valuable to me versus like, you know, if I didn't have a course, if I didn't have anything to sell, there's no point in reading that book. So yeah, focus on reading books just in time, not just in case.
1: Yeah. Well said. I want to ask you a little bit on the creator experience for you. And specifically as it dovetails with habits and kind of constructing your own life to some extent. One of the things that I noticed when I was working a full-time job in investment banking and working like 16 plus hours every single day was the fact that when I left that job, there was like a a bit of a, a hole in my life because like my whole identity was like built around that job. And I had something to do constantly, right? Mm. And then when I left, it's like, what the heck do I do with myself? Like there were were certainly aspirations and things like that, but you have to like impose some structure on your own life in order to make it navigable. And I'm curious from your perspective as like a full-time creator at this point, the process of developing habits and structure, has that evolved over time?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I've yeah, I would say the last few years, you know, always worked fully remote. And at great at the beginning, it's like great. Like, you know, I'm working from home. I don't have to commute anymore. Hour here, hour there. That's saved. But then it's really hard to get out of that frame of you know I'm home. I, you know, it's my day off. So that was a big uh, transition in the beginning, where it's like, okay, you know, let me just you know go on YouTube, watch a couple of videos, or let me you know take a take a longer break to you know watch a movie or do or listen to a bunch of podcasts because that that's me like being productive. So I think it was super hard in the beginning. And then uh, you know, read that book, Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink. And that, that really kind of like changed my mind shift there, where it's like, okay, I need to build a structure. So uh, I basically turned this into like a regular nine to five, where you know, I work from nine to like around one o'clock, then I make lunch, and then from like two to five, like continue working. Uh, so I have that same like nine to five structure um just like uh, working from home but like i had to like implement it on myself cuz like the best thing about working for yourself is like you have no boss but that's also the worst thing you have no one to like, kind of like enforce you or like mentor you or like give you feedback or anything like that so you know a big pro and con there so yeah i would say you know ha- having freedom is great but having too much freedom could be just as bad as having no freedom
1: yeah yeah i i'm pretty interested in the whole psychoanalysis school of thought. And one of the books that I had read, I think it was published maybe in the 1940s or the 1950s, was a book called Escape from Freedom by Eric Fromm. And in that book, he kind of articulates human civilization is inching towards increasing amounts of freedom. And while that might seem like very optimistic for many people, it is also terrifying to an extent because people in the face of freedom, sometimes don't want it. They want to be told what to do and how to live their life. And they're comfortable with the security that somebody telling them what to do provides them. And I feel like that's the one thing that maybe like creators need to be mindful of, right? Is that if you are pursuing an entrepreneurial independent type of lifestyle, you're going to have to have a level of like character and maturity to know like how to handle that amount of freedom. And I think it's probably the same thing with like any stage of life. If you're a teenager, you want to inch and inch closer to more and more freedom. And sometimes if you overextend, it will backfire on you. So that's an idea that I've been thinking, you know, a lot about.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you there.
1: In terms of like the whole creator side of of what you're doing and like what you're interested in moving forward. So one of the the things that I think uh, maybe is dangerous for for some people is they build a career or identity around something that they ultimately like don't want to build a career or identity around. For you you've done it around books which which is uh, one it's like very broad because there are so many topic areas you could cover, but do you ever think about like or feel pressure of oh, I have to keep talking about books, talking about books, talking about books, where maybe you want to exercise some other part of your curiosity?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I would say when I kind of narrowed it down from books to like nonfiction books, so usually like self-improvement, business psychology, because yeah, I rarely ever post about fiction books. And even though every now and then I'll get a message to do that, and then I, I will experiment. But then like the fiction post book post does not do as well because people are, are used to like the nonfiction. So yeah, yeah, you definitely want to be careful of like digging yourself into a niche that might be too small. So what I would say there is like, you do want to experiment every now and then. You know, one one thing I really enjoy doing is playing basketball. And I thought about creating like basketball-ish content, but I would definitely have to create like a separate page because the overlap between people that, you know, love reading nonfiction books and like reading and love playing basketball, it might be too small. Um so I definitely do think about that but I did before I started this whole page I kind of narrowed it down to like I either want to do books or like fitness and I want to do this like you know long term so I definitely you know put like a a little bit of thought into it whereas like okay how long am I going to do fitness like how long do I want to take you know like shirtless pics or like gym videos or this and that I'm like okay for my 20s it's like doable 30s uh, maybe a little bit less but by the time like in my 40s or 50s I'm like I don't want to be creating gym content but I'm like With books, like, I could be 60 years old and still, like, sharing book recommendations or, you know, writing about books or something like that. So I definitely, you know, I'm glad I took, like, the long-term view there, which is, like, you know, I love reading books and I can see myself doing it for a long time. And then, yeah, maybe as I get older, I will shift from, like, nonfiction books to more fiction books and, like, get to, like, those classics and see what, you know, why do people love those classic books? Why have they been around for, like, hundreds or thousands of years? But I would definitely say, yeah, if you want to be a content creator, you definitely want to think... Uh, deeply about, like, what do you want to do? How much do you like doing it? How long can you see yourself doing it? And also, like, what is a possible exit plan? Or also, you could just, you know, pivot. There's a lot of content creators that, you know, got really big doing one thing, and then one day they decide, okay, I'm done with this. And then they start like a new YouTube channel or Instagram page and they just follow like a new passion. So I think there's even like, there's always like a way out or a way to pivot. It just, it just might be harder if, you know, you only want to do something for two years and start something new versus doing it for five or 10 years and then uh, changing directions then.
1: 100%. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot for myself as well, just in terms of some of the most interesting people that I've come across sit at the intersection of multiple domains where they have like some level of expertise or competency but like the one thing it's not like they're just doing one thing for the entire their entire lives and and building their whole career around it and so even with the title of this podcast the idea exchange the reason why it's so open ended is because i realized okay i have interest in investing or psychology or history but if i were to pick one title that encapsulates the podcast and I want to do something outside of that like I feel like I would be restricted to some extent and so I try and give myself as much optionality to kind of to your point earlier in terms of the right way to orient yourself towards books is letting my curiosity kind of take take me wherever it will you know
0: right yeah and I think that's I think that's the best strategy because if you look at someone like Ryan Holiday he started off in the marketing world so that book trust me i'm lying and the growth marketer that's completely different to what he's doing today, which is out, you know, talking about stoicism, but I would say stoicism is now bigger than like marketing for him. And like, you know, most people know him for, for like stoicism books versus the marketing books. So I do think if you follow your curiosity, you know, you'll love what you do and you'll create like great work out of it.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm curious in terms of the other creator related projects that you've dabbled in, in terms of like monetization and, and all that stuff. So you had, you had write, writ, written a book, you published like a short book, and it has a handful of like very pithy quotes that are are, are quite like insightful that I really enjoyed. Can you talk about, a little bit about that project?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So the book is called uh, Learn to Love Reading. And I just wanted to uh, like a fun little project uh, because, you know, I was reading all these books about reading uh, and I would every now and then come across this quote by like Elon Musk or you know, Steve Jobs or Benjamin Franklin or some other successful person about like the power of books or like why they enjoy reading or like benefits of reading. And so I would just start collecting these quotes. And then also I was reading, you know, uh, I noticed on social media, the the posts that did really well were from these quote books where, where it was like just, you know, 300 quotes about like, you know, determination or motivation or like inspiration, something like that so i'm like oh like why don't i just take all of these reading quotes put them into like this little quote book and that's what i did so it's a collection of like 366 quotes so you just open up the book to whatever page and you'll find like a quote from someone famous or successful about like why you should read books and it was just like a f- like fun little project to also learn like how do i self-publish a book and you know i was ne- you know i was never like i never thought about self-publishing a book hmm. or like you know it was never really top of mind but i'm like all right you know i have this material this could be, like, a fun learning experience, so why don't I do it? And, uh, yeah, the, the book is it's not, like, a New York Times bestseller or anything like that, but it was a fun project. I learned a lot, and a lot of people found it beneficial. And, you know, every now and then I'll see someone post about it on, like, Instagram or Twitter, and it's like, oh, that, that's really cool to create something and putting it, put it out, out there in the world. So I'd recommend everyone to do, like, some type of, like, creative or artistic project where you kind of just take what you're already doing, package it together, and also, also you know, try selling it because that's a great, like, you know, way to get your uh, foot into like the business world or, you know, selling your first creation. So I think, yeah, it's a great learning experience. It was a fun uh, thing to do. And uh, yeah, I'd recommend more people to try it.
1: It's interesting because the book is a very simple book and you could have put those quotes in like a Google sheet or an Excel document and sent it around and I could have read through them all but there's something about the delivery method and just like sitting down with a book, going one by one and treating it with like a level of seriousness that like hits you differently because I've, I'm about like halfway through some of those quotes and I've really enjoyed just like reading those books. I think there's a, I'm on this marketing and advertising learning sprint right now. And one of the key points is like, you know, you really shouldn't try and change somebody's worldview if you're trying to sell something to somebody. Instead, you should really like, Tell them and confirm their priors um, because you'll have a much easier time selling them something. And as somebody who is like a huge learning advocate and a huge reader, like reading those quotes, like all of them are just like gold. So I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad you did, you did, you did prepare that. So appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for getting the book. I really appreciate that.
1: What was the experience in terms of the self publishing process? Was that pretty straightforward? Like, how, where do you even start with that? Did, did you use a handful of external resources to like get that set up?
0: Yes. So like I did like all the research, finding quotes, putting all the material like, yeah. And then like formatting, like which books, which uh, quotes are going where. But when it came to like formatting, the actual book for Amazon it was like hiring people off of Fiverr. Then it was getting like designers to design the book cover. Then it was like running polls on like Twitter and Instagram to see like which book covers people liked, which titles people liked, which subtitles. So that was also like a fun project because You know i thought this one cover was like beautiful i'm like okay this one is it but you know let me just test it out you know on twitter just for fun and then it turns out this completely other cover people loved a lot more by like a vast majority so that i think that was also like very like an eye-opening experience that you think you might create something and like this is it this is the way to do it and then you actually ask people in your audience and they're like no we actually prefer this one so that was a lot a lot of like back and forth i would also test the quotes on twitter So I would share the quotes and I would see which ones do people love the most. And then, okay, let me stack those in the front or let me, you know, get rid of this one that didn't get like, you know, this one got zero likes. So let me get rid of that. Uh, So I think this idea of um, just how it's popular to build in public, uh, Mm. you want to write your books in public. So you want to share your material. And, you know, I've talked with a lot of authors and done some consulting work there. And I would tell them like, you know, they try to like you know, they say, I'm writing a book and I don't want to tell anyone about it. I don't want to share any inf- information. I'm like, that's the wrong way to go about it. Like share what you're working on on Twitter, see what people resonate with, p- see what people love, and then put that stuff in the in the book and put it in the beginning of the book. And then, you know, if you write like a Twitter thread, that's like your book chapter and people like don't like it at all, like take that out of the book. So I think this idea of, you know, writing public and, you know, building your book in public is super valuable because you want that audience feedback along the way. Not you know, you put up Put in all this work then uh, you know release the book and then people say like i hate the cover or the book's not that good or you know a whole bunch of other stuff so uh, you definitely want as an author or like content creator you want to get feedback during the process and it's also a great way to market the book because people you know come on the journey with you like if i just release one day oh i wrote this book i spent six months working on it they're like oh like this is the first time i'm hearing about it you know it's the same advertising you need to tell people like seven times about something before they buy it you know not sure if that's true or not but Definitely telling people that you're working on something and them seeing how much effort and time you're, and energy you're putting into something has a higher chance of you making a successful product.
1: And to that point, so what about your relationship with writing in general? Because you had started off like blogging, right, about about your reading practices and books and all of that. You have like amassed a pretty large following at this point. It seems pretty natural that if you wanted to actually like write your own book about some sort of topic that you'd be very well positioned to do that. Do you still write actively and do you have like future ambitions to to write your own book?
0: Yeah, so I definitely want to write like a, you know, traditional published book or something along those lines one day. And I knew like, you know, a lot of these publishers want people to already have an audience cause that's like the number one thing. Like if you already have an audience, you know, that's distribution for the product. So you have a higher chance of getting a book deal. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what I want to write about. I don't know what that book's going to be, but I know I'm going to write it one day. So let me first work on getting the audience, then writing the book, not nah, writing the book and then getting the audience. So I think, I think that was a good move. But what, where I messed up on, I would say is focusing on the blog cause you're, you know, no one knows about your website and then you're kind of just writing content into, and just hoping someone on Google like fi- finds out about it or something. So I think what I would have done is just started right off the bat on Twitter or like LinkedIn or some platform where people are already reading a lot of writing. So the reason I don't say Instagram or TikTok, cause that's a lot more of like a visual, you know, short form content type of platform. But on Twitter, people are writing these threads, like these super long, you know, in-depth threads that people are reading and they're still going viral if the content's good. So you want to go to where people are and, you know, create content and then track them and then try to get them to your blog or your newsletter versus, you know, having this website, creating all this great content. So I think that's like, that's the one thing I wish I started working on. Like if I could go back in time, I would have started on Twitter. That would have been the first thing before Instagram, before the website, and then focus on building up an audience there and then getting them back to the website or even better yet get them to your newsletter. So that way you have a direct line of communication because like, you know, if you have a newsletter and it's really good, you'll have like 50% open rate. So 50% of people on your newsletter will see your content on social media. Something could go viral and it will only have a 5% engagement rate mm. for Instagram, the larger your audience is, the lower your engagement. Like my engagement is probably around, you know, like 3% or like something like that. And if you have over a million followers, that engagement drops to like 1%. So like the bigger you get, the smaller your engagement with your audience gets. So yeah, I would focus on, you know, focus on Twitter, yeah, build an audience and then get people to your newsletter. So th- those be my three tips for aspiring writers or authors.
1: Yeah, maybe just pulling on the thread of the monetization piece, because like ultimately this operation that you're running is a business that is sustaining you to some extent. Like early on when you first started finding growth across social media and thinking about like monetization and some of the experiments you had run, whether it was like developing a course or starting your own newsletter, doing, I don't know, partnerships with brands or authors and so forth. How has your thinking around the best way to like monetize, I guess, evolved over time?
0: Yeah. So I would say, yeah, also if I could go back in time, once you built up a decent sized audience of less than, you know, 10,000 people, Mm-hmm. you you want to start asking them like what are your problems like why do you follow me like you know you know what what kind of uh content are you looking for because people are following you for a reason either you know entertainment or like education and you know they have problems in my case you know they want to find amazing books and they want to learn like how to read them more and what i did was i just focused on like building up the audience and getting more people but i didn't have like anything to sell them any like you know product to give them really and i think that's a mistake for two reasons one it's like, if you could solve someone's problem, they'll be happy to pay you for it. And also, if people are paying you for your product, that means it's like valuable. Like if you're creating something and people aren't you know, willing to pay for it, that means what you're working on isn't as valuable as you think. So you definitely want to have that pr- uh, proof of concept. For me also, it started off where like, you know, I would just read books because I enjoyed it. Then once I grew that audience, authors and publishers noticed and they're like, oh, can we send you free books? And then as the audience got even bigger then it was like oh can can we pay you to post about these books so that was very like eye-opening where it's like once you get to big enough size you become like the billboard in some sense yeah so you know authors and publishers would send me books and they'd be like oh you know we'll pay you to like post about this book so that, that was like a really you know cool experience that you could get paid uh, to read books and i was like okay like i made it like i'm getting paid to read this is awesome but it did take a long time to get to that point so i actually worked that podcast notes for two years so that's it's a website where you listen to podcasts and summarize it, kind of like uh, book summaries, but instead of you know reading books, I was listening to podcasts and writing podcast summaries. And so that was kind of like my full time job, and while the book thing was a hobby. Then the book thing became a side hustle. So the podcasting became part time thing. And then as my kind of yeah, as the book brand grew, I, I did I worked less and less on podcast notes. I also did event marketing on the side, so that was another way to like supplement that income. And then yeah, eventually it became to that point where. The, the uh, book brand was making more money than other things I was doing. So then I went full time on it. So it's not like a, you know, not like I was working nine to five job and just quit it and went all in on the book thing. Uh, you know, I was working like other part time jobs or like side hustles or like doing other things to generate money in the meantime.
1: That whole podcast notes, like part time experience. How, how did that work out of curiosity? So like, would the company give you podcasts to listen to or did you have some say in, in what you listened to and, and provided feedback on?
0: Yeah. So it was, was kind of like a first come, first serve. So it's like, you know, a new podcast came out or uh, also people that had like different topics. So I was more like the business productivity side. Someone else was more like the health because they had more of like a, a science background, but it was more like, Hey, we got this. you know, here are the, you know, whatever five podcasts we want to cover for today, who wants what? And it was also like fully remote job. And it was also like the more podcasts you covered, uh, the more you got paid. So it was like the more hours you put in, you know, the higher your pay was. Yeah. So, so that, that's how it worked.
1: You also, for a period of time, were running your your own podcast where you were interviewing like authors. What was was the experience like? And running my own podcast, it's like, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into both the coordinating, the setup, the recording, and then the editing post recording. What was the experience like in terms of learnings and do you ever plan to pick that back up again?
0: yeah so so this was another i would say like a fun project and a good learning experience yeah like you mentioned it is a lot of it's very time consuming in my case i was interviewing authors so i'd have to read the whole book and maybe even read it again to come up with notes and questions and i would always try to find like original questions so i'll also listen to like other podcasts and see like okay what questions haven't they asked so yeah that did take you know you know each each book has to basically read twice what was very surprising was like how I guess how easy it was to get authors on the podcast mm. given i had like a big audience and they found that valuable and then you i was going to post about the podcast so that was like a big big perk where like if you have the audience authors you know and other people that want to come on the podcast will say yes because they it is very beneficial for them but there were like some very big names authors where you know i reached out to them and i never heard back from them because they, for them it's like they want to go on like a lewis howell or tim Ferriss or like a joe rogan type of show because right. that's what's worth their time yeah, so def- definitely a lot of preparation, and one of the reasons I stopped because like it's, it's very hard to have a competitive advantage in podcasting. You definitely want to find like a like a niche or some type of angle that makes your podcast unique. So like when I thought about it, like you know, if James Clear has a, a, a option of going my podcast or on Tim Ferriss, he's definitely gonna pick Tim Ferriss because it's just bigger. He's been around for longer. So yeah. I really enjoyed the experience. It was great to meet the authors, you know, have the conversations. But yeah, it is a bit hard to monetize the podcast. You definitely need to do it for a few years to grow the audience. Uh, like you were saying, very hard to, you know, build that distribution because yeah, podcast is really like word of mouth. Your friend telling you, you know, check out this podcast, and it's like very a uh, slow growth. And then, yeah, if, if you are starting a podcast, you want to have some unique angle. Like, I really love David Perel's new podcast, like How to Write, because he's interviewing all of these best selling authors, but mm-hmm. he's asking them, you know, like, how's your writing process? Like, you know, yeah, how do you go about writing? You know, how do you edit your books? How do you do this with your books? How do you market your books? And just having like a unique angle makes it like a more entertaining and interesting podcast. But yeah, I think it was a really enjoyable experience and I had a good time doing it.
1: Being a small podcaster myself, I think that that's really the mindset that you have to have going into it is not necessarily the expectation that it's going to be this massive success, but enjoying conversations for the sake of it, because Growing a podcast is brutal, and if you don't yeah. have in a, a pre-existing audience base that actually wants to hear you talk, then you're gonna you're gonna struggle and probably be frustrated um, and and flail out over time. And it's like that with like all activities that you engage in, right? It's just like you want to build a career around things that you love for the sake of it, and not just for the the end goal of like growing an audience or, or doing yeah. it for the financials.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, just to add on that, I've noticed a lot of successful people they have podcasts, but it's really more just so that they have an excuse to talk to their friends or have an ex- like a reason to like invite someone over because yeah it's like you know successful people are busy and they want to get something out of their time so if it's just like a private conversation over coffee or dinner it's not that you know rewarding for them but if you have a podcast even if it only has like you know a few thousand listeners you know that's like super beneficial for them because like they don't try to market their podcast you know they're not really focused they have you know they have business that actually makes money and then they have the podcast like for fun and it's just like a reason to get people together to talk and network and so like for them makes complete sense to spend all that time podcasting but i think for anyone out there who's trying to make like a living out of like just podcasting it's a lot harder than just you know yeah, then getting like, you know, pressing record and just hoping like millions of people find your video because, yeah, there there aren't really any viral podcasts. Like there are, you know, viral YouTube clips or like YouTube videos. Yeah. So that, that's another thing. It's very hard to go like viral in like the podcasting world. So, the, the, yeah. So if you're doing it for networking, like that's great. And, you know, a lot of fun and a lot of benefits there. If you're trying to make like a ton of money from podcasting, I, I, th- I think it's a bit harder than people might uh, think
1: hundred percent. I think the the types of podcasting content that does end up going viral is not like intellectually dense conversation or speakings about like reading books and things like that. So not not great content to start with if you're looking for virality. But for me, like to your point, the there are hidden, I think, benefits of podcasting, which is like, even just to have a conversation with another person and to like connect with them over an hour and a half. The vast majority of the time I walk away with like, a sense of like renewed energy and that alone i think is incredibly powerful whereas had it not been for the podcast existing i probably would just not have those conversations just right. because of whatever social frictions exist and yeah. i think that's that alone pays for itself in full from my perspective
0: yeah yeah i completely agree I'll also, i also like the idea of like just practicing talking to someone asking questions being a good interviewer being you know oh, that saying like it's better to be interested than interesting so i think i took a lot of lessons from that And yeah, you know, now that you're talking about it more and more, it's like, you know, maybe I'll bring it back and do like an episode like once a month or something like that, where it's just like kind of networking or talking with authors about their book and just making it like, you know, doing a podcast for the networking benefits and like the conversational benefits versus like trying to make a living off of it.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you had mentioned that you were an introvert and I assume still are. One of the reasons why I think podcasting is so fascinating for me is because if I'm engaged in a conversation that is like intellectually interesting and I'm doing it with another person who I think like shares that interest, I'm very willing to be like highly sociable. And a lot of times people walk away from the conversations that I have thinking that I am like an extrovert because I'm just very engaged in the discussion. But had it not been for podcasting, if I was like out in the open, having these kind of conversations and group dynamics, it would be incredibly draining. And for me to figure out some way to engage in just like regular social interactions in a way that is like positive sum to me, like being an introvert, that's, that's a super valuable one. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. So- someone posted this viral tweet I read a long time ago, it really hit me. I was like, if you get an introverted talk, you'll have the most interesting conversation in the world,
1: yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, well, there's another conversation to be had around the most successful people because if you think about the people that enjoy reading, I would be curious to see what the mapping looks like, introversion versus extroversion. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason why I listen to so many podcasts, why I listen why I read so many books is because I prefer to be. Completely alone in my head with my own thoughts, and a lot of the people that have accumulated massive amounts of information, I think a huge byproduct of being an introvert is that that is a very possible outcome. So that that whole you know perspective is is very fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know the status on that, but I definitely would would assume that. The more introverted you are, the more books you read, and yeah. So if you, yeah, if you get interested, people to talk about what they're reading, what they're learning, what they're doing, you'll probably find uncover some uh, interesting insights there.
1: Yeah, on the perspective of you having been doing this for over five five years now, what is your perspective on like the this whole creator economy, the future of? a lot of people that are trying to do, do something independent and entrepreneurial, you kind of, I feel like see these waves of like complete optimism. And then you see like pushback of like people realizing that it wasn't sustainable. And I've seen a lot of people who brought on operations team and production team to do something and they end up kind of unwinding it. I'm curious, both in terms of like how you've set it up for yourself and like where you think we're kind of going over the course of the next like five plus years. Yeah. I was I would
0: say I think creators are new like middle class like or the white collar professionals mm. you know even though there are now like AI creators like that like yeah make like six figures through just like posting AI content which is kind of crazy but yeah I think people want more autonomy in their jobs they want more creativity you know they want to be entrepreneurs work for themselves so that's kind of like all the benefits of being a creator. But yeah, like you said, I think there is a little bit of a danger of like scaling too fast or building out a team because the algorithm is constantly changing. So being in like the social media world for so long, I remember where Instagram was just like carousel posts were like the hot thing. So just posting a lot of carousel posts. Then reels came out like around COVID. So I went heavy on Reels and that like, you know, it took me from like a hundred thousand to like three hundred thousand followers on Instagram. But then it went back to like Carousel posts. And now we're in like short form video. And like you know Instagram doesn't know like which which like algorithms taking off or what's doing well and I, I talked to all these other creators where it's like uh, you know they' were killing on LinkedIn doing this type of post and then the LinkedIn algorithm changed and now it's like, oh like what do I do? Same thing with Twitter like when Elon Musk took over like it went from like Twitter threads to now you just have like long one long tweet and like you want to have an image or a video in it because Elon wants more like watch time or people spending time on the platform that will get you better engagement. So yeah, the social media algorithm is constantly changing and on each platform is different. And just trying to stay uh, up to date on each one is like a full-time job in itself. So there's, you know, there's a bit of danger of like, if you're not adapting, if you're not constantly uh, evolving your content and changing what you're doing, yeah, there's there's a chance like your your audience and like your reach is just going to go down and then, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep as like a full-time job.
1: You have done like a handful of projects and in terms of social media are, you know, running a lot of of content and volume. Do you get help producing anything or are you doing this like entirely by yourself?
0: No, so I'm I'm just a one-man team. Yeah, I like to uh, keep a a lean and yeah, it's also, you know, the book industry in general is not super lucrative. Like you'll talk to any author and, you know, they make, you know, anywhere, you know, $3 per book. If they self-publish it, they might make, you know, $5 per book. So that that's the one thing I would say. You also want to think about like what niche you're in. Like I know content creators are like, you know, only have ten this one content creator I met has ten thousand followers, but he's in the he's in the health health insurance space. So mm-hmm. he teaches people how to pick the right health insurance and he works like with companies and employees and all of that. And even though he has ten thousand followers, he's making, you know, over six figures doing incredibly well, maybe even close to like seven figures a year. So I think also picking what niche you're gonna go into is like super important, like if you're into, you know, a lot of ways content creators make money is doing like affiliate links. So specifically Amazon affiliate links. So if I sell a book, Amazon will give me like 5% of that. So if a book's, you know, $20, I might make, you know, 5 cents, 50 cents off of that. But if you're a tech creator and you sell a camera for like $5,000, you know, that 5% is a lot more money. That's like a hundred bucks. Or if you're in you know finance and you sell credit cards, uh, you know, credit card companies will pay you anywhere from $100 to $500 per you know person that you get to sign up for a credit card. So hmm. yeah, each niche is completely different. So it's also like you could have a low amount of followers, but still make a ton of money if you're in the right niche.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that I I oftentimes think about as well, especially in just interacting with people on Axo over the past like three to four months, is that as soon as you have a conversation with them, you have deepened your relationship with that person. And I think that you can maybe measure audiences both in terms of size and like depth or quality. And it seems like sometimes it is maybe a bit of a risky trade to sacrifice depth and quality for scale because some of the people that can actually sustain a living, I guess it's the whole Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans dynamic is like, as long as your fans are like gung-ho about you and are willing to like stake their loyalty and buy the stuff because they just trust you so much that could be a much better approach or strategy to sustaining a living as a content creator than than trying to like secure the masses to some extent you know
0: yeah, yeah. and i was say it's like important to like try different forms of experimentation like uh, when i first started the website i was like okay i'm just gonna be like donation based like people if they enjoy the content they'll donate Uh, I think I made like less than $50 in donations over the past like few years from the website. So I'm like, all right, let me try to sell something. So let me like, you know, let me sell some bookmarks. And I made also like around like, you know, probably less than $100 because it's like a low margin product. And, you know, how often does someone need a bookmark? And it's it's not something you could sell, you know, for like a high price. So and then, yeah, I did like, you know, book promos and I'm like, you know, doing the course. So, yeah, you also want to experiment with different ways to like monetize the audience see what they want, see what you're good at creating, and just try to find an overlap be, uh, between the two.
1: How are the, I saw your merch websites, the the read more books, black, those black t-shirts, how do those do? I was actually thinking of like buying a handful of those because <laughs> when I work out right now, I just have like the a Stanford logo Nike tee that yeah. I've been using, but they're getting old. And I was like, that would be the the read more books t-shirts would be like a great representation of like what I want to try and promote out in the world.
0: Yeah, and then that was another experiment, trying to sell, like, book merch. I think that made, like, under $500 or, or something like that. But it's really, it was just, like, uh, I was, like, I need my own uh, merch, like, when I filmed content instead mm-hmm. of wearing, like, someone else's brand. So I'm, like, all right, this is kind of, like, a thing for me. Uh, and then let me see if, you know, anyone else is interested in it. Uh, but, yeah, the, the overlap between people that, you know, you know, read books and want to like, you know, brag about reading books or tell other people about reading books, isn't that high or isn't that like uh, fashionable, at least in like the nonfiction space, but also like a fun experiment. And now I have like a bunch of uh, yeah book t-shirts.
1: Well, I love that you have like tried a bunch of things. I feel like the that's the thing that is difficult of if you have a nine, nine to five job, the amount of experimentation that you can do is much more limited. And the whole idea of like, having a little bit of runway in your life to try new things and just experiment with novelty is like a a critical piece to like finding success. So it's very, very cool to just hear about like all the stories that you have have to share. We're recording at the end of January 2024 in terms of like your plans for 2024 whether it's like creator related projects uh, or stuff you're doing with the social media do you have things kind of on the docket that you're you're open to sharing at this point in time or is it going to be a lot more of of the same this year
0: i would say like social media wise shifting my focus towards twitter and linkedin because what i found is also 10,000 followers on instagram is not the same as 10,000 followers on twitter the people that use that platform are completely different. Like for, you know, Instagram, it tends to be a lot younger people in their 20s, like college students that want to read books, but maybe don't read. You know, on Twitter, it tends to be more, you know, executives, business people, people, like investors, that type of audience, which is like in their 40s and like successful. And then on LinkedIn, it tends to be people in like late 20s and in their 30s, like, you know, managerial white-collar professionals. So that was also a big realization where your audience on each platform will be different, and uh, yeah. So for my for my goals, like building out this reading course, teaching people, you know, how to become better readers, I notice people from Twitter and LinkedIn are more like interested in the course and like what I'm creating than people on Instagram, where it's like you know they kind of just want like the book recommendations or like the photos of books. So that's definitely like a little shift there. And then aside from that, yeah, just focusing on growing the growing the audience, and uh, you know, long long term goal is to you know write like several books kind of go like the Ryan Holiday model, where it's like you just make a living, you know, reading, writing, sharing content. I I think that's like a a great like career path and hope to like go down that trail.
1: Yeah, on the point of the different social media platforms having almost like different personalities or characteristics, it's uh, also interesting to see in the short form video content game as well because there's stuff that will go like viral on tiktok that won't on instagram but that will on youtube shorts or something like that and it almost seems to be like completely unpredictable to some extent as to like Mm -hmm. what hits off and what doesn't um so i guess another testament to the whole experimentation aspect as well well, look, I mean, I am a big fan of of reading in general. And one thing that I I try and do like with the podcast and with the people that I interact with on X is just to position myself around people that read on a regular basis. Because even if you do the high level thought experiment of if one book contains one interesting insight that might like change your perception of of reality or your understanding of the world. And if you're reading, let's say an aggressive like 50 books on on a yearly basis and you do that over the course of 10 years it's like somebody has 500 you know insights about the world compared to the reader who has never touched a book before and to me like you can see the compounding effects of knowledge and so one thing that i've been like trying to do more intentionally is just like regularly surround myself with readers and just in having the conversation you can tell that you have like so much knowledge stored up so super super glad you were able to join for the combo
0: yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me on the podcast, Tyler. This has been great. You know, really enjoyed talking about books, about uh, the content world. So yeah, it's been a fun conversation and I feel like I learned a lot from you and uh, your perspective. So that was super interesting and helpful.
1: The whole creator space is, is moving very quickly. And just knowing how fast you are experimenting over the last couple of years, uh, I'm sure there'll be more fun conversations that we could have in the future. So if you're open to it a year from now, whatever, do a, do a check in, run another conversation. I uh, would love to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that'd be really fun to do, like a review, see what works, see you know what's different, what's changed, and uh, yeah, I think that yeah, it sounds like a fun uh, a little annual uh review type meetup.
1: Awesome, man. Well, you have uh, an awesome twenty twenty four, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Hopefully, hopefully not too long.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Thank you, Tyler.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Idea Exchange podcast. For more information on the podcast and more information about myself, you can visit tylercho.com. I also send out a monthly newsletter to friends, family, and colleagues where I essentially share the best ideas that I came across from that month, whether it was books that I've been reading, podcasts that I've been listening to, or just conversations that I've been having. So feel free to subscribe on the homepage of my personal website. Until next time.